You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network, where we listen and imagine together. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. My name's Dixon, Trixie Dixon, girl detective. They say there's nothing sure in this world but death and taxes. Whoever wrote that obviously never shared an office with Jack Justice on the third Thursday of October. On that fine day, come rain or shine, he'd open the office door softly, wobble to his desk as if walking on eggshells underwater, and lean softly back in his chair as if he'd just gone nine rounds with Gentleman Jim. A moment later, a fine sweat would break out on his brow, the office would fill with the delicate aroma of a vermouth factory in midsummer, and, if it weren't already... I would open the office windows as far as the weather would allow. Momentarily buoyed by the influx of oxygen, he would pry the lids off the sliced tomatoes he was wearing in his eye sockets and point them at me in a manner he believed to be imploringly. This was my signal that on this one day, I was not merely permitted to make the coffee, I was actually encouraged to do so. Even once there were several cups in him, he was seldom much good to anyone for the rest of the day. See... The remnants of Blackjack's platoon would get together on the third Wednesday in October, for reasons he would never explain, to see if they could finish off with whiskey those whom the Germans had spared. I never knew why he didn't just stay home the next morning. It seemed to be part of an intricate rite of penance that I wasn't meant to understand. Death and taxes. Death and taxes. Another cup, soldier boy? Why do you mock me? Do you even own a mirror? Shh. Oh, no. What? Elevator. Elevator? Down the hall? You can hear that? Today I can, yes. There was no time to explain the extrasensory properties of a truly eye-popping hangover. The elevator doors at the end of the hall had just opened, and I had something like 30 seconds to splash a little water on my face and assume a posture of something more active than an invalid. I didn't mind the morning after... If the night before was important enough. I I didn't even mind the shocked silence that befalls respectable citizenry when they encounter a roomy rummy dressed up like a disheveled detective. But there was nothing I hated more than sympathy. That's why, at least one day a year, Trixie was the perfect girl to have around. She never felt sorry for anyone in her life. Don't make yourself too beautiful. I can hardly stand you now. See what I mean? What? Sorry. Was that out loud? Just then, the office door burst open, and its space was immediately filled by 300 very well-dressed pounds with a bowler hat perched somewhat precariously on top. He beamed at both of us, surveyed the small office with its cracked plaster and wall of mismatched filing cabinets as if he were taking in a beautiful mountain vista. His cheeks were rosy with the effort of propelling his substantial frame, but the expression on his jowls was one of perfect contentment as he spread his hands as far apart as the potted plant in the hat stand would allow and spoke for the first time. First rate. Absolutely first rate. Thanks. We have a girl come in once a year to burn the place down. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. This old thing? I just threw it on. Ah, you are quite the character, young lady. Uh, Please excuse my partner. I'm a little under the weather, so she's uh, bantering for two. (laughs) 
Better and better, sir. Better and better. Please, Jack, can we keep him? So, this is Jack Justice Investigations. First rate. Yeah, well... It doesn't look like much. Thrift, Horatio, thrift. I admire the economy. Running one of the most impressive independent investigation firms in the city out of such... simple surroundings? First rate. Forgive our shell-shocked expression, sir. This is a little more enthusiasm than we normally witness before noon. If, then. A lamentable oversight on the part of the general public, sir. And one that I propose to rectify in a most expedient fashion. Swell. Why don't you pull up a stool, Mr... Conroy. Reinhardt Conroy. Reinhardt Conroy? The lawyer? As you say, Miss Dixon, I am a member of the bar. That noble and much maligned profession, if you will. I may sit here... You certainly may... Would you care for a cup of coffee, Mr. Conroy? I'm afraid old Squaredraw wasn't quite up to preparing his special blend this morning, but this should take off the chill. I'm certain it will be more than sufficient, my dear. Most kind. From behind his desk, I could feel Jack's eyebrows arching in amused disapproval. He thought I was fawning, I'm sure. Blackjack takes a certain iconoclastic pride in slamming the door on Opportunity's fingers and doesn't entirely trust people who don't feel the same way. Reinhardt Conroy was one of the top lawyers in the city. He handled legal matters for all sorts of bigwigs, and he drew a lot of water in this town himself. If he had a case, I wanted it. And I wanted the referrals that came with it. And I didn't much care what Johnny Hardboiled thought of it. Delightful. I'm most gratified. Is there something in particular on your mind, Mr. Conroy? Or would you like to see the lunch menu? <laughs> By the root, sir. You are the man for me. Direct and to the point. Very well, sir. Let's get down to business. As you may be aware, I am on retainer for many of the city's finest families and most influential individuals. My firm handles everything from day-to-day -day legal minutiae to, well, criminal matters, should such a thing ever be necessary. As I recall, you kept the mayor's nephew out of jail after that hit-and-run. A regrettable incident. Particularly for the pedestrians. And you cleared up that regrettable incident with the Rowling kid and that blonde. A dreadful misunderstanding. Quite. Jack. Mr. Conroy prefers plain speaking, doesn't he, Mr. Conroy? Just so. You needn't worry, Miss Dixon. I am not offended. I am aware of society's opinions on the legal profession, nearly as unsavory as their lurid visions of the private detective. Indeed, the two often go hand in hand, particularly where the efficacy of the police is in question, as it so often is. Indeed, I find myself quite often in need of operatives like yourselves. Why, this year alone, I have spent tens of thousands of dollars on investigative work on behalf of my clients. Nice of you to spread it around. We'll take ours in tens and twenties. Jack, please excuse my partner. We'd be delighted to take on your case, Mr. Conroy. I think you'll find us both dependable and efficient. I'm afraid you misunderstand me, my dear. Oh? No, no. I have no such pressing matter just now. But I recently found myself besieged by a number of potentially high-profile matters. Potentially? Just as in detective work, Miss Dixon, when a lawyer is on top of his game, it very often results in no publicity of any kind. That is the kind of efficiency which my clients demand. And yet, when push came to shove, I'm afraid I couldn't really rely on the agency I had used for a number of years. Who's that? Braithwaite's. Braithwaite's. A building full of bright young men in tiny offices. The company that managed to make detective work duller than accountancy. Just hearing the name would have turned my stomach if it weren't already doing the cha-cha with what was left of my liver. So something had soured the old man on Braithwaite's and he'd crossed the tracks to our broken dollhouse. Unlikely, but I'd figured I'd play it out. Well, we appreciate the look-see, Conroy, 
But if you're not peddling a case to audition us with, I'm not sure how we can help you today. Audition? Sure. That's the rumpus, ain't it? Braithwaite's burned you, or stiffed you, or padded their bills, or whatever they did, and you're looking for a new agency, yes? Yes. See? And no. Oh. You see, Mr. Justice, it occurs to me that with the amount I am spending on this sort of work, it would be so much more desirable to know that those investigating on behalf of my clients shared their priorities as I do. Then you don't want to hire the agency? Not quite, my dear. I wish to buy it. Buy it? Quite so. All of it. From the files to the hot plate and back again. The agency may retain its present name and facilities, apart from some cosmetic changes to your offices, with which my clients would feel more comfortable, as I'm sure you would. You may, if you wish, take on other cases during slow times, but officially, both you and Mr. Justice will become employees of Reinhardt Conroy and Associates. We will, will we? Pending your mutual approval, of course. In addition to the sale price of the agency, you will each receive a generous annual salary, which is guaranteed regardless of your level of activity. When called upon, you will turn all your attentions to the matter of my clients' interests. Their needs will become your needs, just as they are mine. So we dwindle away our few remaining days helping you keep rich kids out of the pokey, is that it? Our justice system is most effective when the accused have an advocate as strong and motivated as the prosecution. My clients do not deserve the protection of the law less because they can afford to pay for it. Obviously, you will want to consider the matter. Here is my offer for Jack Justice Investigations. Lock, stock, and barrel. And here, you will find what I propose to offer both of you by way of salary. Oh, my. Indeed, Miss Dixon. Oh, my. Think it over. I make this offer because I know it will benefit myself and my clients... But I also offer a degree of security and comfort that persons in your line of work seldom receive. I extend this offer for 48 hours. At that time, I will have to pursue other avenues. And on that note, I bid you good day. Conroy stood with surprising grace and made his way through the door, stopping only to level a beneficent smile at Blackjack and I once more before he disappeared into the dank hallway. I wasn't at all sure what to make of this, but I wasn't going to let that pickled detective know that. I put on my second-best poker face and turned slowly to where Jack sat, feet up on his desk, rolling a cigarette between his trembling fingers. I couldn't decide if he was excited or just had the shakes, but it was taking all of his concentration, which meant I was wasting a perfectly good poker face. I sat on the edge of his desk, took the fixings from him, and finished the job myself. So. So. A lot of dough. A lot of dough. You're not going to repeat what I say until I say something revealing, are you? While you're wearing your second-best poker face? I wouldn't dream of it. Then what do you make of it? It's a good offer. It's a very good offer. That's the problem. It is, isn't it? I mean, we'd have been tempted by a good offer. A very good offer is just suspicious. On the other hand, if he's spending that kind of dough on legwork and getting treated just like another client... I doubt even Braithwaite's could treat that kind of dough like just another client. It's not like he won't pass the cost along to his clients, and it's not like they can't afford it. I know. Believe me, on mornings like this, I remember I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm tempted. I'm just also... Suspicious? Yeah. Me too. Offering us jobs, that'd be one thing. But buy the whole agency to get us... Lock, stock, and barrel. Tricks, that's it. What? What if it isn't us he's after? The agency. But Jack, we are the agency. What does the agency have that he wouldn't get by hiring us? He mentioned the files. Of course, he also mentioned the hot plate. Sure, the files. So what have we got that he wants... That we don't know we have. Depends who wants it. 
So we need to know more about Conroy and his clients, and we need to know it fast. We've got just 48 hours to torpedo the best offer we've ever had. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. I've done one or two questionable things in my time. Oh, I don't mean to imply any specific immorality. Just things that would make the average person say, Trixie, are you sure that was the right thing to do? I've always been able to ignore that nagging little voice when necessary, and there's no getting around that this was one of those times. Jack and I needed to know more about Reinhardt Conroy and his too-good-to-be-true offer to buy the agency. That meant we needed to know more about what went on between Conroy and Braithwaite's, the biggest agency in town. And we only knew one person at Braithwaite's who would return our calls. Poor old button-down Theo. Button-down Theo was the most mild-mannered detective you were ever likely to meet. He dressed well, but not flashy, had all the rough banter of an actuary, and was exactly the kind of bright young man who excelled at Braithwaite's. We'd crossed his path once or twice before. He was competent, if uninspired. The sort of detective who was really only good for explaining things to over and over, which often helps a girl to think. He thought I was reckless, disagreeable, and unprofessional. He dealt with this conflict by promptly falling in what he believed to be love with me. You know the sort. Falls for you because you're different, you're independent, you wear your hat at a jaunty angle, that sort of thing. And immediately pictures you in a gingham dress surrounded by babies, exactly like every other girl he's met. I didn't dislike button-down Theo. He wasn't icky or aggressive. He knew I wasn't interested and didn't press the point too much. He was a decent guy, which is why it felt so questionable inviting him to lunch. Did I mention that you're looking really swell, Trixie? You've mentioned it three times, and you know full well you have. You only asked to draw attention to it in the belief that I'll find it charming. And? I hear the egg salad is nice. Dixon, one of these days I'm going to give up on you. Are we anywhere near that point, Theo? Still haven't gone soft on me, huh? You'd be disappointed if I did. You wouldn't know what to do with me. I think I would. Theo! I'm sorry, I I didn't mean... That was lured, uncalled for, and absolutely the first attractive thing you've ever said. Work on that. In the meantime... Yes, business. Business. Reinhardt Conroy. Conroy? Trixie, I can't. He's a client. Theo, we both know you're gonna tell me. If the dance means that much to you, I can whisper my questions breathlessly... Take my hair down and turn my head just so. I'm even not above a little footsie under the table if that's what it takes because you work for Braithwaite's and Braithwaite's works for Conroy and I need to know about Conroy. But you're a nice guy, Theo, and I'd rather not lead you on. I wouldn't ask if I didn't have a good reason. Reinhardt Conroy. (sighs) I don't know that everybody who becomes a detective does it to help people. It seems to be one of those things that just happens to you one day. But it's got to be the most attractive fringe benefit of the job. And I do get a chance to do that at Braithwaite's, Trixie. Whatever you and your partner might think of the place. But Conroy, well, there are sacrifices to be made, and he's one of them. What do you mean? I mean, the people he works for become the people we work for. I work for. And some of them aren't guilty of much more than being able to afford a good lawyer. And some of them... I'm gonna need names, Theo. I... I can't. Look, there's some pretty big fish on that list, and some bad people. I can look after myself. Sometimes our job doesn't allow us the luxury of doing what's right. Your job, maybe. Is this what caused the split with Conroy? Split? He broke with your bosses. If he did, I'd have heard of it. He's our most important client. What? Trixie, maybe you should start at the beginning. And so I sat there, relating the morning's events over and over to button-down Theo and the meatloaf special. 
and I couldn't help wondering how Jack and his hangover were making out. If there's one guy you didn't want to nurse a splitting head around, it was Freddy the Finger Hawthorne. Freddy was a small-time operator and information broker when it was convenient. Freddy's gold standard of convenience was a few bucks in his pocket and absolutely no risk of any kind. Something about Reinhardt Conroy made Freddy very nervous. And when Freddy got nervous, he talked fast and said, See a lot. It was calm him down fast or shoot him. And at this point, I didn't care much which. Jeez, Blackjack, you can't just spring a question like that on a guy, see? I don't see anything, Freddy. Tough guy like you, scared of a big fat lawyer? Don't kid with that stuff, see? I'm a marshmallow, and you know it. It ain't the lawyer that's the problem, see? It's guys the lawyer is working for. That's the problem, see? Freddy, I'm begging you. Calm. Serene. Shh. What's the matter, Jackie? You sick? Yeah, I'm sick. I got the 24-hour cotton mouth, all right? Jeez, Jack. Why didn't you say so? Hey, Pete. Two bourbons here. Shh. Oh. Sorry, Jack. Little hair of the dog, see? Freddy, when I'm through with you, dogs are going to be the least of your problems. Oh, come on, Jack. I I said I was sorry. One. No, Jackie, not that. Two. Please, Jack, not your old pal Freddy. Three. All right. All right. It's the Sullivan mob. The Sullivan mob? Sure, Jack. I thought you'd know. You took them on often enough. And got nothing for it but loose teeth. I haven't crossed the Sullivan mob in three years. Why would they come after me now? Maybe it's like you say, Jack. It's the files, see? There's nothing in my files about the Sullivan mob that the coppers don't already know. It's making it stick that's the problem. All I know is this big lawyer pal of yours. He does a lot of work for the Sullivan mob. Keeps him out of hot water. Knows where all the bodies is buried, if, if you know what I mean. It still doesn't make sense, Freddy. It's too thin. Was it worth putting the scare into your old pal Freddy for? All that counting stuff, I mean. What would you have done if, if you had got the ten? How should I know, Frederick? You never let me count past four. I don't know if Freddy's bourbon met up with Trixie's coffee and together they stormed my nervous system and got my brain's pilot light lit, or if it was just the rush of being onto something that made me feel half-human again. The Sullivan mob... But if they figured there was something in my files that would incriminate them, why wouldn't they just blow the place up? Sending a lawyer to buy the place? Artie Sullivan getting subtle in his old age? Impossible. But if not them, who? And why now? Why the rush? I burst through the office door and nearly ran headlong into Trixie, who didn't even have her hat off yet. How was Romeo? Knock it off. When are you going to let that boy make an honest woman out of you? There's whiskey on your breath. I deny that completely. Bourbon, then. I plead the fifth. Jack. Freddy had the hiccups. I had to calm him down. Jack, drink gasoline for all I care, but shut up and listen to me. Yes, ma'am. He listened for a change. Then he talked. We pulled the files half apart to find what we were looking for, but we found it. The question was what to do with it. We could wait for Conroy to come back, throw it all in his face, but as Jack pointed out, he hadn't actually broken any laws. But somebody had. Somebody who wanted to make sure no one ever knew. Jack favored a more aggressive approach. For a booze hound who badly needed a shave, he could be surprisingly persuasive. Honey, I'm home! That's nice, darling. How was your day? Who... who are you? Calm down, Judge Bayard. Mrs. Bayard's out for the moment, so we can enjoy a private little talk. Keep still. Keep your hands where I can see them. What are you doing with that gun? Isn't it obvious? I'm pointing it at you so you don't move. Don't tease the good judge, Jack. 
You. That's right, Your Honor. Long time no see. Then you must be... Blackjack Justice is the name. Trixie told me that she'd had more than one run-in with you, Judge. She told me you were crooked, and she told me how she knew. But she never told me how she got you off her back. See, that was back in the old days, when we each ran our own little agency. Two years ago, she moved her files into my old office, and we never paid that much attention to our mutual mothballs. Until you sent Reinhardt Conroy around to buy them, lock, stock, and barrel. You can't prove that. We don't have to prove it, Bayard. It's not actually illegal. But if you hadn't, you'd have said, no, I didn't, or what do you mean, but not, you can't prove that. So I suppose that's good enough for old friends. We're not friends. No, we're not. I found out you were crooked when you tried to bury a client of mine with a trumped-up penitentiary term. You did your best to bury me for getting him off. Until I busted a blackmailer and found the best Christmas present a girl detective ever got. Pictures of her archenemy with his mistress. Bah! You spied on me! Maybe she did and maybe she didn't, Your Honor. But the two of you did manage to work out a nifty little arrangement. You stopped trying to put her away for life, straighten up and fly right, and Mrs. Judgey never sees the photographic essay of you and Bunny Sullivan. You! That's right. I didn't recognize the girl as a member of the Sullivan crime family. I was young and didn't know how to give you what you had coming, so I settled for a truce. I didn't believe you'd gone straight, but you kept a lot more subtle about it after that. But the pictures were still out there, and that was a problem. Especially when you took it upon yourself to run for office. You are planning on running, aren't you, Judge Bayard? It wouldn't do to have photos surfaced that would make it obvious people were electing a de facto member of the Sullivan mob. So you had your lawyer use his detective agency to find out whatever happened to that pesky young girl detective. And when you found out she'd partnered up with an expert on the Sullivan mob, you knew you had a problem. You couldn't go to your sweetheart's family. They'd get nervous and pull the plug on your campaign. You had to get your hands on that picture, even if it meant buying the agency. Lock, stock, and barrel. So what if I did? None of this is a crime! That's not Pop Goes the Weasel you're playing in those pictures, Bayard. Mob princess or not, those pictures would kill your political career. And once the law knows, they can pull apart every decision you've ever handed down looking for a pattern of corruption. I think they'd find one, don't you? All right. I get the picture. Conroy's offer wasn't enough, huh? So how much to see the law doesn't find out? How much does it cost to put a cat back in a bag? What? Look out that window. See the tall man with the gray hat and the flat feet? Yes. That's Police Lieutenant Sabian. He likes crooked judges almost as much as we do. He's already seen the pictures. He's got one set already. If you don't walk out that door and get into his car, he sends his set to the prosecutor's office, and we send ours to the papers. What? That's right, Your Honor. You're going to give us Artie Sullivan and his whole stinking family. The judge didn't like it much, but he did as he was told. Artie Sullivan and his boys were off the streets in six months. Judge Baird went into protective custody. Sabian made the headlines and promised to cut us some slack next time. We decided not to hold our breath. Baird had tried to run me out of town on a rail once upon a time. The Sullivans had broken more of Jack's ribs than any other crime family in town. For an awfully long time, it looked like they would get away with it. But justice is inevitable. Like death and taxes. Like death and taxes. Blackjack Justice, Episode 5, Justice Incorporated, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices by Brian Vaughn, Kevin Robinson, Peter Nickel, and Greg Taylor. 
This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020. <laughs>